especially the George Washington mascot. Yeah, you know that they had that weird old dude that you mean George. But then there was Big George, who was this weird blow-up that you don't even mascots like him anymore. You can probably find him on Google. Big George. These are the tales of college basketball past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons, on- and off-court moments, memories of personal fandom, catastrophe, and elation, and yes, alcohol. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. And I'm Pat. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the College Basketball Stories. I'm Daniel Frank, and I'm going to tell you about the 2005-2006 George Washington Colonials. Um, so heading into that season, uh, expectations were about as high as you could possibly imagine for a mid-major school, especially in the mid-2000s. Um, this was an era before George Mason broke the glass ceiling with their Cinderella run, which ironically would be that same season. Um, GW came into the preseason, uh, I think they were ranked in like around 21st, I want to say, um, in the preseason polls, which at the time um, was a big deal for GW. Um, and I understand that, you know, they were in the shadow a little bit of St. Joe's after their amazing 2004 season, um, but they really felt like they could really establish themselves as a power in the Atlantic 10 and that they could also establish the Atlantic 10 as a conference here to stay. Um, I definitely think that, you know, they, they really accomplished something special that season. Um, I mean, the, the entire Atlantic 10s run that they had that season, they, they went 16-0 in the Atlantic 10, um, which is a feat that was not reached again until this past year with, with Dayton and the OB Toppin team. Um, they, I mean, if you look at their schedule – there's not a whole lot of question that they didn't necessarily play the world's toughest non-conference schedule. They played Kennesaw State, Norfolk State, St. Francis, BU, FIU, Morgan State, et cetera. Um, and some of those games were closer than maybe they should have been. Um, I mean, the Norfolk State game was an 11-point game. Um, but, I mean, this was this was early on you could tell that this team had a certain flair for dr- the dramatic, you could say. Um, that <laughs> certainly was something. Um, they they could come back in games in, in ways that I've not necessarily seen other teams do before or since. Um, the ability that they never truly were out of a game, no matter how much they were down in a game. Um, and, you know, they, they, they finally got a good win over Maryland in the BBT Classic in December of 2005. Um, at the time of this of this era, the BBT Classic was one of the best midseason events in college basketball. It was originally conceived to be, hey, let's get a Big Five type of situation going with GW, Maryland, Georgetown, etc. Um, Georgetown never wanted to be in it because they were afraid of losing. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, but Maryland and GW were were constant mainstays in this event. Um, and this, they were able, they didn't always play each other. Um, the previous year, actually, GW played um, a nationally ranked Michigan State team, um, and they beat them. 
which was a tremendous win for that team. And GIV went on to go make the NCAA tournament in 2005. They won their first A-10 title. Um, but getting to play Maryland was something that was a big deal, um, especially given, you know, who else was on their schedule that year. I mean, you know, I think when you're a mid-major in the D.C. area especially, you're always looking for a little bit of respect. Um, because, I mean, let's be honest, we all know that the Redskins at the time, as they were known, the Washington football team, they are the number one team in the city, first and foremost. Then you have, like, the Wizards and the Capitals and now the Nationals, um, and they're kind of, you know, the next tier. And then when it comes to college teams, it's Georgetown and Maryland are the first tier. And in years since, as I mentioned before, the Washington Post, they like to go and find a winner if they don't have a winner nearby. So they will go to get, like, Virginia and Virginia Tech playing them as D.C. area teams. Um, but, I mean, when Maryland was good, and this was like the Gary Williams era, um, this was a year after they'd won the national, or two years after they won the national, something like that, um, after they'd won the national championship. And to get a win over Maryland was really something that was like, okay, this this we might have a special group here at GW. Um, and it, it forces teams and sports writers and people in the D.C. area to kind of look at you different when you beat one of the two big boys in the city. Um, and I mean, you know, there's certainly questions about like, Oh, who do they play? Um, but I mean, as far as the, the guys on the floor, they can only play and they can only beat who they play. Um, and so, I mean, look, yeah, there's no question that their non-con kind of sucked. Um, the, you know, the only real team arguably other than Maryland that they played on that schedule was a road game at NC state and they were not competitive. Um, I mean, they lost by 21, but as I recall, it was not like, oh, it got away late. It was one of those things where they were down and out pretty quick. I have, like, a vague memory that, like, I think NC State jumped to, like, some, like, quick lead or something, and, like, it was, like, 5 nothing, 8 nothing in the first couple minutes, and then it was toast. Um, Sounds right. And, I mean, you know, that was, I think, kind of a hard reset for the team um, because that was obviously, I mean, at the time, their first loss of the year. and. I think in many ways it was probably a good loss for them. I mean, you know, in hindsight, looking at how the, you know, the NCAA tournament seeding played out, yeah, it kind of sucked because um, it probably bumped them down at least a seed line. But I do also think that sometimes as sports fans and sports writers and so on, I think we put a little too much, em- too much emphasis on, oh, my God, is this team going to make the tournament? Oh, my God, a seed line, blah, blah, blah. And I think sometimes you also have to evaluate a team and say, look, sometimes teams need to take a step back and kind of figure out what the hell they're doing. Um, and I think this was very beneficial for them in a lot of ways um, because it, they need to get punched in the mouth a little bit before they could start punching back. And I, I remember it, it wasn't necessarily that, like, oh, my God, this is falling kind of loss. Um, but I think it kind of did make people double take a little bit about how to especially nationally, you know, how to evaluate this team. That, I mean, because it's easy to beat, you know, when teams when you're only playing cupcakes. Um, and it's, you know, sure, teams can have a fluke. No disrespect one. to St. Francis. In- <laughs> <laughs> We're not an anti-St. Francis podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my friends are going to be you, so I can I can make fun of you all I want. Um, no, but, um, but no, but I mean, you know, when, and, you know, Teams do randomly beat ranked teams every now and then. So, like, hey, maybe you can write off the Maryland win. But, I mean, if there definitely was a sense of, like, well, is this team as good as we think they are? 
Um, I mean, I don't. They were ranked pretty quickly, though. I mean, throughout middle of January at that point, um, they were definitely not ranked at the time. Right after they lost, I think they dropped out of the rankings after the loss to NC State. I think they'd been ranked after they beat Maryland, um, and I think they dropped out for like a week or two. Um, I think it really taught them how to fight um, because when they get to, to A10 play, I mean, they had three overtime games. Uh, in 16 games, which I don't think I've seen GW have that many overtime games um, since then. And, they, I mean, they had two back-to-back to... Um, I mean, the Marshall one technically is a non-conference game that was kind of thrown there in the middle of it all. Um, but, I mean, they they opened a ten play at Temple, um, and they, they were able to get a win there, um, which is ironic because that was that was the only time that they played Temple in... Uh, the non-conference play, and that was, or sorry, the conference play, um, and that uh, of course ended up being the team that would knock them out of the A10 tournament. But I digress. Uh, but then, I mean, they started winning games in a manner that I think really captured people's attention. I think the back-to-back games with the Marshall win and the St. Louis win, as I recall, they were down in both of those games and had to make a late run, and they did it so many times. I mean, I. I'm trying to remember which game it was, but there was one specific road game. I want to say it might have been the Xavier game, frankly, um, the, the February 2nd game, where, like, GW was down, like, 12 points or something with, like, five minutes left or something. And this was, again, like, back in the days where, like, there was no ESPN+. Plus, There was no TV deals for the Atlantic 10. If your game wasn't on ESPN, you were going to have to sit and just watch the ticker scroll at the bottom of the screen to see when your score was going to come up. And I, I mean, I vividly remember sitting on the floor in front of the television with my father and my sister, and we're like watching this GW score go by, and we're down, and it's like, well, this isn't good. And then all of a sudden, like, because it would take like three minutes at least to get through a whole cycle on the yeah, team. You got to wait for the whole loop. Exactly, and then all of a sudden... Slides over to Major League Baseball. Yeah, and you're like, oh my god. Slides back over, you're like, god damn. (laughs) But I mean, you'd slowly see them start to chip away. But I mean, it would get to the point that it was excruciating because, especially in the final minute when there's, you know, all these timeouts, and back in 2006, the teams had an extra timeout. They had five timeouts, and there was no use or lose it things. Like, if teams held on to timeouts, you could have potentially like 10 timeouts in the last two minutes of a game if you really wanted to. Um, and with fouling and all that, I mean, it would it would take a while sometimes. So you'd sit there and you'd wait three minutes and then like five seconds might have come off the clock. And you're like, this is taking forever. I mean, I think we sat there for like half an hour in front of the TV watching like the last two minutes of this game go by. And somehow, some way, GW found a way to win the game. Um, and I wish I had a more specific memory of which game it was. But, I mean, that was just kind of what it was like following this team in that era, too. It was just, like, it was not easy. It was, you know, you had to go out of your way to find GW scores, even amongst, like, them having the best season, arguably, in school history up to that point, regular, at least just looking at the regular season alone. I mean, they were off to the best start in school history. And, you know, they they started just finding ways to win games and it wasn't always the most pretty ways. I mean, they had some random games where um, like the UMass game in February, on February 15th, they only won by three points. Um, but I mean, there were, 
there's a mark of a good team, in my opinion, that even when you're playing like crap and you're not having a good night, you can still find a way to win. Um, and I don't want to be mistaken with, oh, it's okay for a mediocre team to to look like crap and then, you know, but still, like, pull it on the end against, like, a Fordham team. Like, that's not what I'm trying to – I'm not trying to, like – I'm not trying to say that George Mason should, you know, be allowing teams to hang with them when they're really mediocre themselves and it doesn't matter. What I'm trying to say here is that, you know, GW would find ways to win games and they would do it night in and night out, which is not an easy thing to do. And I mean, this was not necessarily the best year for the Atlantic 10 top to bottom, but I mean, there were certainly, I mean, no easy games, I think, anywhere on this schedule. Um, I mean, there's, of course, always, like, one where you're like, ah, yeah, Fordham. But <laughs> not to just slander the crap out of Fordham because I have wonderful friends who go there and wait for them before Miss Fordham and let's move on. <laughs> they on, they only beat the Dayton Flyers. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so you're talking about what makes a good team. How does um, how does a an arena atmosphere and uh, even a court how does that factor into how good the team is i mean there's no question that having a tremendous home court advantage helped gw immeasurably in that season and i mean it was like being a part of something I and mean, you truly felt like when you were at the smith center and gw was doing their thing they were making a late run in the game because it always had to be a late run and we were pulling our hair out that you were a part of something i mean there were guys that were standing in the top row of the arena screaming their lungs out. And it was, I mean, it wasn't like, oh man, like, like people at George Mason today complaining about like, oh, they can't stand up and cheer because there's all men yelling at them to sit down and blah, blah, blah. That was not what like at the Smith Center in those, in those six days. I mean, every single person was on their feet almost the entire game. I mean, students were lining up hours in advance of games and, and not just for the, the big games that were like the Charlotte game. I mean, it was every single game, every night. Um, and I, I just have this very vivid memory of just some random-ass Saturday afternoon game, and I don't even remember who they were playing. It wasn't a particularly close game, but it was just one of those moments where they were running away with a game in a way that was just so impressive. And my father turned to me and my sister and said, you really should savor this team and this moment because – this is a very special team. And that's something that, that has stuck with me my entire life is just that memory of me standing there and my father turning to me being like, this is a really special team. Because there's just certain intangibles that you just can't coach, you can't teach. you can't. I mean, it's when a team comes together and they're just stringing wins together and every team in the Atlantic 10 is giving you the best shot and they're coming up short night in, night out, that – you all you have to do is just sit there and savor it because you don't know if that's you're ever going to get a season like that again. Um, and it's something that I wish, you know, I mean, I was six years old if the season was happening and it's, I'm, I'm grateful for them for the amount of memories I do have. It's really surprising to this day, how many memories now, even as a 21 year old sitting here that I do remember from this season, I wish I could have, you know, had more memories. I wish, you know, that, you know, it, it really is, would have been interesting to see, like, what Twitter would have been like in 2006, talking about a GW team yeah. like this. I mean, we got a little bit of a flavor of it from how Dayton was treated last year with getting game day and all those things. But, I mean, 
you know, to an extent, it's almost a good thing, though, because there was no outside distraction necessarily. There wasn't this constant worry about like, oh, are we getting, you know, the, the right, you know, guys on Twitter praising us night in and night out? Are we like on, you know, John Rothstein's best games of the day tweet or whatever? It was, you know, it was to an extent felt, even though as they were climbing up the rankings, that there's there was a little bit of a feeling that like, hey, this is still kind of a, a little bit of a secret here that there's something really special happening down at the Smith Center. And it's a hell of a ticket to get because it's not easy to get in there. But I mean, there was still this sense that's like not everyone knows about this team. Um, and people weren't really aware of it. And, you know, one of the great stories that I I remember hearing about GW, ironically, and how little people knew about us is actually a George Mason story. And I forget if it was North Carolina or UConn or something, but as George Mason was making the run to the Final Four in 2006, I, it was either UConn or North Carolina. I, I can't remember which, but it doesn't really matter. They were looking at who they were next going to play, and they saw George Mason was the next team that they were going to face in the NCAA tournament, and they were like, who the hell is this team? And they thought it was GW. And people joke about that and say, oh, look, George Mason wasn't respected. But I've kind of always turned that story around, even like, now, wait a minute here, because you have two very different teams here. Like, yes, GW was an 8 seed, blah, 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 but, like, they were a team that ended the tournament, like, 26-2, and two was up to the number six team in the rankings at one point. But still you have UConn asking, are we playing George Mason or George Washington? Because they didn't know who the hell they were playing. Like, you know, I think it's one of those things you can kind of turn back and be like, no, wait, GW also wasn't getting the respect that they deserved at that point. Um, But, I mean, it gets down towards the end of the season. And the GW-Charlotte game is, to this day, widely regarded around GW basketball lore as the best game in program history. And there's been a lot of them. I mean, you've got the two, the 1993 run to the Sweet 16 um, that they had. You've got, a, you know, the, the UNCW, uh, UNC Wilmington win that they had, the, this 06 team had later in the, the year, which was the NCAA tournament win. You know, all these other things. Maybe there were better teams that they that GW's beaten as a program at different points in history. But this specific game was hands down, the best game in GW history. Um, the build-up to this game was unlike any other that I can remember, um, and I've not seen anything close to it since then at a GW level. I mean, we didn't, you know, unlike Dayton, like, we didn't get we didn't get college game day in there, which, because I don't even know if game day existed as a basketball show at that point, but, I mean, they still, I mean, it was an ESPN game on the last Saturday of the regular season. GW had the best record of any Division One men's basketball team of up to that point, they were better than Duke, even though they were they might have been ranked lower. They had the best record in college basketball. They're in the two o'clock slot on ESPN on Saturday, on the same day that like North Carolina and Duke are playing each other. And it, like you just get the sense like this is a big game. And I mean, there's stories about like people camping out overnight, people camping out like nine in the morning to get in line to get in the gym that day. Um, and it was senior day, which added an extra element to it. Um, but this was a, a Charlotte team that there's been a little bit of a rivalry brewing over the last couple of years. Um, and I say last couple of years as in, you know, at that time period, uh, because we'd always had some close games with them. I think there'd been a couple overtime games like in the 04 and 05 season and whatnot. Um, so we all kind of knew like this isn't necessarily I don't think there was the expectation that this is going to be quite the coronation that 
Dayton senior night last year against, ironically, GW turned out to be. Uh, I think there was a sense of like, hey, this is this might still be a close game. You know, I think Charlotte was the second place team in the A10 in the standings. I think at that point, so like there was definitely a sense of like this is going to be you know a tough matchup here. And in true GW fashion, um, I mean it was a close game throughout. They get behind because of course they do. Um, they were I, I should mention here they were down Pops Mensabantu, who um, went down midway through the year with I believe a knee injury. Will you please uh, call him by his full name? Pops Mensabantu? Yeah. Do you know his full name? That's all I know. I know that it translates to whale killer. <laughs> That's incredible. Is there a na- part of the name I'm missing? It's, uh... No, I got it now. Nana Papa Ya Mensabansu. Nana Papa Ya Mensabansu? There you go. All right. I'm impressed. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I remember one of the other storylines from that day is because it was senior day, and even though he wasn't playing, I think his parents came over for, like, the first time to see him in a GOB. I mean, he wasn't playing, but to see him, you know, with his team um, because he was originally, like, from England, I think, somehow, but I think his origins were, like, um, somewhere in Africa, and I don't want to say the wrong country. Um but I do remember he he, he had somehow a, an English affiliation because he was on like the 2012 London Olympic basketball team, which was pretty cool. Um, but I mean, I remember it, that being part of the storyline of here's Pop's family finally in in building to see to see his team. Um, and I mean, they they get down to the end of the game, and they're down three points in the final 10 seconds of, of regulation. And I remember this sense as they were kind of going down the stretch of the game. It's like, they're going to pull this out, right? Like they they have to, they've done it the entire year. They're going to find a way. Right. And, and I don't want to say there was ever panic in the building. Cause there was definitely not a panic sense, but there was a little anxiety of. Was there panic <laughs> within six year old Daniel? <laughs> you know, I wish I had a great answer for that. I, I don't, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily was panic, but there definitely was like the, you're kind of waiting for them to, to come back and take the lead here, at least tie this thing up because I mean, they, it's like they always had, um, it would be like if Mariano Rivera came in to close out the Yankees world series game and, you know, he suddenly started, you know, throwing like four balls in a row and loaded the bases up and you're like, Surely he's gonna get himself out of the situation. He's not gonna like let up a grand slam here, right? Like he's not, right? And then you know he might walk in one more bat, and you're like, he's not gonna like let this get away, right? Like you know, it, it, here was GW in their their final game of the regular season to close out a perfect A10 record, and I mean, sure enough, as they get down to the final possession of this game, Carl or sorry, uh, Maurice Rice grabs this rebound on a wonky broken play. And at that point, he'd already had taken a three that 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 earlier in that possession and missed it. I think they this was like the third chance I think that play where they'd gotten it was like their second or third offensive rebound from that play. And Rice pulls it out to the corner. I'm sitting where I'm sitting. I should say I am in the second row, right behind that basket that GW was shooting at on the floor level. And so. It is this whole thing is happening, and he grabs the rebound almost right in front of me, 
and he runs out to the far right or to the corner to my right and has to just turn around and heave something because there's only like six seconds left. And you kind of get this feeling as he's running out to the corner to take what is, I believe, the third shot of the possession for GW. This either goes or it doesn't. I mean, the odds of them getting a, a fourth chance on this possession to win a game like this are kind of slim to none. And so I just remember having this sense that, like, this has to go. And he just throws this prayer up, basically, from the quarter. Sure enough, it goes in. And the game goes to overtime. And, I mean, it was... The overtime period, I remember taking a long time. Um, It was not one of those things where it was like, oh, you're up and down action. There was a lot of stoppages. And it was a physical game at this point. And so they get down again to the final minute, and they're down again. And I remember, like, this feeling that was there at the end of regulation kind of starts to come back. It's like, well, hang on, we we hit the big shot at the end of regulation. Like, the magic is happening. Like, they can't come all this way and now lose it. So, like, you know, here they are, and there's this weird broken play, and there's an offensive rebound that everyone's – or a rebound everyone's going for. And it goes out of bounds. And then all of a sudden, like right in front of me, Mike Hall and RJ Goldwire from Charlotte are like at each other. And I, I, I don't believe I could hear what was being said because the sheer volume of noise in the arena at that moment as GB's down four in the final seconds is just in, or three, sorry, they're down three is just so immeasurable. And then all of a sudden, like RJ Goldwire in the most boneheaded play of, like, all time, just swings his elbow on Mike Hall's head. And frankly, he's lucky he didn't get ejected from the game. I mean, if that had happened now, that is, like, the definition of a flagrant two, you're gone, no questions asked. Um, They went to review it, and I think at this point it was, like, review was kind of newish still, so, like, we didn't exactly know what they were going to call, but I was like, we all saw that. There's no way that, like, they can't call this, and sure enough, they call a technical foul, and it's two shots in the ball. You don't think he was just uh, practicing his rebounding? <laughs> just yeah. in between plays, just... <laughs> I mean, but you know, the thing is, RJ Goldwire wasn't just some bum that Charlotte had brought in to, like, you know, the last guy off the bench. Like, as I recall, he was, like, one of their leading scorers. He might have been their leading scorer. Just threw an elbow at some guy in the final seconds of overtime. You're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> just looking back on this play in hindsight, it's like, what the hell is he doing? Um, but the other thing is that I haven't yet touched on is GW is not a good free throw shooting team. They have never been a good free throw shooting team, with the exception of the 2016 team, which somehow they magically decided they were going to make all their free throws that season. But other are they than better than flu, are they better than flu this year or last year? <laughs> you know, I don't want to say yes or no you're, because I don't have the bottom of the trash can there. But <laughs> let's just say that these Mike Hall free throws that were coming up were not gimmies. They were not guarantees. There was not the overwhelming sense of the arena. It's like, oh my gosh, we're great. This is going to be a one point game. Like this is a like. There was kind of like a little bit of anxiety of like, this isn't guaranteed he's going to make both of these. Yeah. Sure enough, he does. Um, because that's how, you know, good teams kind of have to make three of those every now and then. Um, but then there's like, 
I think they inbound the ball and there's like six and a half seconds after they inbound it after the technical free throws and whatnot. So like they call timeout and Carl Hobbs draw, is drawn up a play. And I remember for some reason, and I don't remember why I remember this, but as they're walking out of the huddle, there's like this guy walking out with the team. And I remember like looking at my dad, like who the hell are we putting in the game here? Cause like, this was a team of four seniors and a junior. This was like, this was the Mike Hall, Omar Williams, Pops, Carl Elliott, Mo Rice. Like, this was, that was their five. And of course, Pops wasn't playing, so, um, Krayev was playing a lot of minutes because Pops wasn't playing. But Noel Wilmore is a freshman who has not played a minute of action the entire night. I think he was averaging like three points the entire season a game or something. Like, this is a guy whose name, I don't even know if I knew at the time, to tell you the truth. It was one of those, so, like, who the hell's coming in game, like, to the game? So he's Mariano Rivera. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, he was the closer. Um, you know, it would have made a great movie if Mel Wilmore had hit the shot that he threw up. But obviously he didn't. And so that's the thing. So GW coming out of a timeout, down one, What's the number one thing that every announcer would be saying on television at this point? Everyone knows that everyone's thinking, you don't need a three, which, you know, is old, but I digress. So they come out, and I really, to this day, still don't know what was drawn up. I don't know if they were trying to get something to the basket and if they were going to try to run some kind of trick play and get Wilmore to flip the ball to someone. I don't know if Carl really just had a gut feeling about this freshman coming in cold. 45 minutes into the game to chuck up something. I could not tell you what was drawn up, truthfully. But as it happens, they inbound the ball, and it ends up, I don't believe, I don't remember if the ball came to him. It might have come to Wilmore after Charlotte def- like defended the inbound. That might have been what happened. But one way or another, with about six seconds left down one, the ball's in this kid's hands. And he doesn't want to be the guy to screw up this season. So he does instinctually what I think any of us would probably do is like, I don't have a clue how much time is left. I got to shoot this because I don't want to like not get a shot off. And so in like, as you described it, a like Kobe driveway fadeaway shot, basically. It's like, like the Mo Rice shot at the end of regulation was one thing. Like it was a prayer, but like it was a reasonable shot. Like it was still something like this is in his wheelhouse to make this. That was not at all what no Will Moore shot was here. This is truly chucking something into the air. And it oversails the basket so far that, like, it didn't even touch any rim. It sailed clear over the rim. And at the point he releases it, there's now, like, two seconds left. And so in comes Carl Elliott from, like, the foul line in. And Carl, I, good to see you. <laughs> He got up. He he comes flying in, and I think everyone else in the arena was watching this Wilmore shot because I think Charlotte was frankly as surprised to see him in the game as I think the 5,000 people watching were. Um, And no one seemed to pick up Carl Elliott trailing the play, and he comes in for the rebound and taps it in midair and banks it in off the glass, and it falls. And it's it's a great clip to see on ESPN because and we were just looking at this. Wilmore doesn't know what the hell just happened first and foremost <laughs> after the after Carl's shot goes in, 
And but I mean, Carl Elliott immediately, I mean, is just sheer G relation. He rips his jersey off. He gets tackled by his teammates. And one of the great things about the Smith Center, particularly at this time, there were like no railings in front of the lower bowl seats. So when the students decided, yeah, we're rushing the floor, there was not a whole lot stopping them. And within like about 10 to 15 seconds, it seemed like there was just this mass pandemonium as guys are running on the floor. And it just becomes very quickly this amazing mob scene of just like these screaming GW fans in buff and blue and those those styrofoam tricorner buff colored hats that everyone had on. And it was just this massive elation. And it was part of it was probably thank God we didn't lose. <laughs> but I think there was also just a tremendous amount of like holy crap that just happened and oh my god like this is like this whole picture kind of came together that this amazing special team found a way to win they finished undefeated holy crap this is a special team was definitely the feeling in the arena did you storm the court you know okay here's the funny thing as a six-year-old on this no you cannot and there's a reason spoiler i was terrified of mascots as a (gasps) six-year-old That's the reason I did not yes. the court. My sister especially did. The, especially the George Washington mascot. Yeah, you know, that they had that weird old dude that you dressed George? up. But then there was Big George, who was this weird blow-up. They didn't even make mascots like him anymore. You can probably find him on Google. Big George. So, do you have you had two mascots at this point in history? They had Little George, who was this creepy old dude. It's not the current George mascot that they have, but it's about the same size. He's got this weird, like, plastic face, this long, curly white hair, and this whole thing looks like they, like, put together his outfit from, like, a Goodwill or something. It it doesn't look good. (laughs) And then the other mascot that they have is this, like, eight-foot-tall inflatable that is supposed to look like George Washington, I guess. But anyway, six-year-old Daniel was utterly terrified of these mascots. So I made the decision as a very thoughtful six-year-old would. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, I like how you said uh, six-year-old Daniel was scared. <laughs> is, is 21-year-old Daniel still scared of George and Big George? No, I'm, I've definitely outgrown the mascot, uh, the fear of mascots. I will say, though, that eight-foot George is so creepy as hell. I would not be scared of him, but I would definitely be like, holy crap, he's definitely looking weird. Um, but, uh, and I, you know, it's funny cause that, that mascot suit only lasted a couple more years after that. I, 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 cause no one has those big inflatable mascots anymore. Like no one does. Um, I, I'm guessing you're probably just like deflated. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> somebody, somebody popped him. Yeah. yeah like I mean, 90, 90s, early 2000s. Popped him. Sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh. Or the uh, local car wash needed a new mascot. (laughs) Stuck Big George outside. (laughs) But, you know, the funny thing is, like, I regretted that for so long that I never got the chance to storm the court. Because, like, you know, I think storming the court is one of the best things about college basketball. And I understand those questions about, like, player safety, blah, blah, blah. I, I understand that. But I think it's one of the things that makes college basketball so unique. And why I love college basketball so much and why I just can't really get into the NBA 
because there's something about the college atmosphere of the students and the campus and the whole city getting rallied around a program. And when you have a moment like you like they just had with with Carl Elliott hitting this game winning shot. I mean, it was sheer elation and everyone wanted to be on the floor to celebrate with the team. And it was just this giant community moment that was and they use this as a slogan now is like only a GW moment. But like it truly felt like it was an only a GW type of moment. And I'm not saying like GW is the only team that can throw on the court, but like when you're at a program like Maryland, the guys aren't going to like the guys on the team aren't going to know who your name is unless you've given six figures of donations or like or you're a donor or like you're the reason they got recruited, like something like that. Like the guys just aren't going to know who you are. The guys on the team genuinely knew who a tremendous amount of the students were. And because, I mean, me and my sister specifically, we were the two little kids that sat in the end zone next to the cheerleaders. And we'd been there for years. Everyone knew who me and my sister were at GW at that point. And so, like, every like there was just this unbelievable tight-knit community that was celebrating this win. Um, and it was just, like, this this unbelievable thing that I just don't really know if you could get anywhere else. Because it is one of the beautiful things about supporting mid-major basketball teams is they don't get the type of, of support and appreciation that the big schools get. So they, you know, it's not like this artificial thing that you sometimes feel like you find at larger schools like Virginia and whatnot when they're getting 20,000 people that you're just like, oh, yeah, thank you, fans. But, like, fans is this big, ambiguous thing that, like, there is feels disconnected from. There was no disconnect here whatsoever. And I truly think that's one of the things that made GW basketball so special at this time, um, for sure. Um, so then from there, um, they they went to the Atlantic 10 tournament. And it's kind of the chapter of, of the 06 story. Everyone kind of likes to skip over, to, to tell you the truth. Um, because it was a pretty quick trip. Um, they, they, they played one game, and it was uh, kind of a dud to Temple. And um, I don't really have many specifics about uh, specific memories about that game, to tell you the truth, because I probably tried to wipe it. Yeah, I see you trying to skip over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I don't even remember what day of the week. It probably was like a Thursday or something. I probably was in school and didn't get to see it. I mean, I don't know. I'm making stuff up. I don't genuinely remember anything about it. Then I remember right. being... Like, oh, we lost. Okay, whatever. Like, we're still going to make the tournament. Um, I don't think there was any consideration in my mind at that point about, like, oh, what seed are we going to get? Is this going to affect us? Like, you know, I think there's so much conversation nowadays about, like, oh, how many teams is A-10 going to get? What, you know, seed line is my team going to be at? Blah, blah, blah. Um, that was not on my radar. And I don't know if that's just because of the year of college basketball. I don't know if that's because I was six years old. I mean, I don't know. But, um I mean, there was definitely this this feeling that I mean, and they did lose. They did drop in the rankings after. Um, I think they fell from like sixth or seventh down to like thirteenth or something, which like isn't a tremendous drop. I mean, considering Temple was, I think they were like the, the eight or nine seed or something. Like you know, given the type the type of team they lost to, it's it's about what you'd expect. It probably was generous, honestly. Don't they drop a couple spots like that? Um, and so like, but I mean, there was no thought in my mind entering selection Sunday that like, you know, we're, we're going to end up as like an eight or something. Like 
I think realistically, we were like, we could be a two seed, at least in our minds. And that was kind of the general sense around Foggy Bottom. And I think after losing to Temple, we're like, ah, shoot, maybe we're like a three or a four now. Like, yeah, whatever. Can you tell um, us about Foggy Bottom? The, you mean the, the origin of the name? Yeah. So the story goes that that it's just a – you know, I don't really remember all the specifics of it. I just remember it being, like, it's just a weird area of D.C. that, like, was kind of undeveloped, and that's why they put the university there. And I don't remember a lot of specifics about that. I can tell you why the hippo was an oh, you remember yet. You remember all the specifics that exist. <laughs> you're, you're telling us – the history. I could tell you why the hippo is an unofficial mascot, though. Do you all know that story? Please do. No. Yeah. So, go ahead. <laughs> Pat knows, but tell it for me. No, so the no story, I, I don't know. <laughs> the story goes that George Washington, like the actual guy, was like this big fan of wildlife. Like George or Little George? <laughs> yes. Um, Both? And so, like, some point after, I guess, presumably he retired from being president of the United States, retired home to Mount Vernon or whatever, and he, I don't remember if the hippo was supposedly a pet, or I, I think it was a gift to him that he was supposedly gifted like a hippo, and it would swim up and down the Potomac River. As far as I can tell, there is absolutely no historic, like, basis to this whatsoever. I don't think anyone truly believes there was a hippo swimming in Potomac River in 1780 or whatever. Um, but supposedly that is the origin of why the hippo is the unofficial mascot of GW is that George was gifted or had a pet hippo. Um, so do with that as you will. <laughs> but so, but that does connect you though, because where in 2005, when GW won the A10 tournament, they didn't have a watch party for the NCAA tournament, uh, for the selection show. It was in Carl Hobbs's basement. Um, it was obviously close to the public, blah, 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 blah. Um, but 2006, they, they planned this big event um, at the Marvin Center in an event space, which ironically is called the Hippodrome, um, which is just a tremendous name for some for us, I have to say. Um, and I remember it being such a big, like, event because it was, it was like a big event space, but it wasn't that big. Like, it was probably, like, the size of, like, a large-ish, like, conference area type thing like you might find in a hotel type thing so there were probably about 300 people there maybe 400 um max it, it was not a huge crowd that you'd find at like a deep or whatever type thing um and there was like free pizza which as a six-year-old i was like hell yeah um i was out on the sunday night this is great um you know and the team was there and they were just like walking around and just mingling with people. And they were just like talking like it was like this almost casual community event where everyone just kind of knew everybody. And we were all just kind of chatting and like um, free pizza players, no mascots. <laughs> it was great. Um, and the other thing that was there is the the colonial brass was there, the GW band, which um, I think they're phenomenal first and foremost. But um, there was this, you know, but the, the other thing was there were CBS cameras there and there were all these local news stations that was there um, because it was a foregone conclusion, obviously, that GW was going to hear their name called at some point that night. And, um, and if you go back, you can find it on YouTube, the select of like, the whole thing, they only showed like 
I want to say like 16 different teams that like had cameras at their watch party or whatever. And like GFB was one of them. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's funny. Cause I remember like being like, Oh, we, we don't know how long this is going to take. Like if we're like a two seed, like we might not find out for like a little while. Cause we could be like, you know, the last two seed or like, you know, it, it could be a little while. And, you know, I remember them, by the time they finally like started the selection show, like everyone kind of like settled down or whatever, there wasn't a whole lot of anxiety because it was like, yeah, we're gonna be fine. Like, you know, they'll set us where they sent us, but like it should be fine. You know, there was obviously hope um, that we'd get sent to the GW, the, sorry, not the GW, the Washington D.C. regional, because you know, as a high seed that is being seeded partially based off of like re, um, geography, we're like that would be really awesome if like you know we get sent to like. Some were kind of closed for like the first couple rounds, but then like we get to like potentially go to the final four from like our backyard. Like, how cool would that be? Um, and I remember like, you know, when they started unveiling the brackets, they didn't do all four number one seeds in a row like they do now. They started with just the first bracket. It's a Greensboro re- region, and the number one seeds Duke, and it's like, well, that was kind of a foregone conclusion. Okay, blah blah blah. They're playing like Southern, whoever is their sixteen, whatever to slaughter. And then they get down to the 8-9 line. So we're the third team announced. And they, they scroll across George Washington. And, like, there was kind of a pause. There was a weird divide in the room as the as GFB gets, like, their name thrown up there. Because on the one hand, we're like, yay, we're in as an at-large. That's cool because the A-10's not used to that. Okay, cool, whatever. But, like, there was definitely this pause of, like, we're an eight seed. And it's like, what? Um, because like, like people definitely thought like, you know, we were concerned because Pop Sense Mons had been out for a while and, you know, they might grade us low because he's out and they weren't sure if he was going to be back for the tournament, which of course it ended up he, he was. Um, and of course, you know, the Temple lost probably her and, you know, maybe they didn't have the best, but like, just like this tremendous like weirdness in the room of just like you could tell the players were kind of taken aback by it. Um, and I mean, it's funny because like there were some people that were like excited no matter what seed we would have gotten, they would have been thrilled to see the name come across the screen. But like, here's the GW band starting to play the fight song and we're supposed to look excited. And like, in, if you go back and watch the selection, so clip that they show, like we're supposed to be excited and people do look kind of excited, but, there was this weird, like, really kind of feeling in the room. Um, and it was, like, something we all, like, because, like, you know, we turned the sound down pretty quickly after that because we didn't care anymore. Like, we knew where we were going. We didn't really care that much about the rest of the bracket because um, Hobbs was supposed to address us. And then Co- Coach Hobbs was supposed to have, like, this media thing. And um, I think he got put on, like, the local news or something, like, pretty quickly. They did an interview with him or something like that. And, you know, he had to be pretty cordial about it all. And like, oh, you know, we're excited to be in the tournament, blah, blah, blah. You know, we don't want to look ahead to Duke or anything like that because we have one game. You know, the usual stuff that coaches would say. Um, but, like, people started clearing out of there pretty quickly. And this, like, celebratory atmosphere kind of fizzled out pretty quickly um, into just kind of like the what the hell kind of feeling. And it's funny we were just kind of hanging around because we were like, I mean, I guess we'll just kind of stay and see what the rest of the bracket looks like, but we weren't really sure what was happening. Um, and then somehow a TV camera got shoved in my face and I got like stage fright about it or whatever. All I remember saying, 
because someone like the like the, the whole story that this the media was like the local media was telling was like so what does everyone think of this seed choice like this is kind of ridiculous and so they like shoved this camera in my face and I all I remember seeing is like I don't know <laughs> like, like little that was basketball <laughs> Lewis Park <laughs> <laughs> but like that was the story it was just like you know everyone was kind of shocked about this but. You know, okay, fine, whatever. You know, we're in the tournament, and all you need to do is get in, and then you're, you know, anything can happen as George Mason goes to prove that tournament. So they get to the UNC Wilmington game, and um, I think we were all kind of thinking, like, well, we're a good team. Like, yeah, UNC Wilmington's, like, they're decent, but, like, we genuinely feel like we're a top-four seed. This should not be a problem for us, I don't think. Um, and I'm not – trying to disrespect you and see Wilmington or anything like that. But like, that was the general consensus. Like, well, this should probably be a relatively easy win. Um, and you know, lo and behold, GW went and pulled a GW <laughs> and they were not down like 12 points in the second half again, because that's all they seemed capable of doing that season was getting down and coming back late. Um, they ran off like, I want to say it was like an 18 to two or 18 to four run or something kind of crazy. Um, and they traded buckets at the end of the at the end of regulation, and there was there was this play where they they got an offensive rebound, and Mike Hall's there for this tip in, and it's funny because this is a play that I just saw a clip of for the first time in like literally probably since the game happened in two thousand in March of two thousand six, and it just unlocked this memory of like oh my god I vividly remember like being on my hands and knees in front of the TV, like, oh my God, we cannot lose this game. We have to like, we're supposed to do big things here. Um, and so like, you know, we, we get that basket to go and then Wilmington comes down and they like hit a three or something. So GW is, I'm not sure exactly the sequence of events, but they're down two points, I believe with like 10 ish seconds left and they get fouled shooting a three. <laughs> And this is kind of comes back to now what I was talking about earlier with like the free throw shooting is not necessarily a gimme with GW. Um, and as I recall, I want to say it was Carl Elliott who takes the free throws. Um, and he makes the first two to tie the game up and then misses the third. <laughs> and then, you know, there's kind of a match game while Wilmington doesn't get a great shot off of one. Uh, they go to overtime. Um, and so I remember feeling this, like, at least partial relief of, like, well, at least we didn't lose. But also, it's like, this is not how the story is necessarily supposed to be going. Like, it's come back, but now it's like, well, we have to go to overtime now? <laughs> like, I mean, I guess. Like, we shouldn't even be in this close of a game. Um, and then they finally get down the stretch of overtime, and they finally start flexing their muscles a little bit, and they are able to, I think they're up two or three, in the final seconds out of a timeout, and UNC Wilmington gets a three. And it's like a decentish look, but it's kind of a rush shot. And then, um, you know, they grab the rebound, and Chip grabs the rebound and runs out the clock. And um, I remember feeling really excited about that. But on the other hand, I remember thinking, like, oh, well, this is just the first of many, right? Like, we're going to make this big run because, you know, in my completely unbiased, totally par- unpartial opinion, I picked GW to the Final Four in my bracket that year. So, obviously, that was what was going to happen. Uh, and that was obviously not is not what happened um, because they ran into Duke. 
Which, uh... Who? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Duke was a team that I hated growing up, and I, I couldn't necessarily give you a real great reason why. It was just, I didn't like them. I didn't like that they always got respect, and we never felt that GW got respect. I, I don't have many fond memories about that Duke game. I remember it being pretty freaking cool because, like, um, you know, back in in, two, in 2006, this is before, like, uh, Turner had their current deal with the tournament where, like, you only got to see the game that was, like, in your area. So, like, and they would flip around and stuff. So, like, um, they basically just CBS one channel airing all the games and they were overlapping and you weren't necessarily guaranteed to see your team if they were out of market. So, like, we obviously got to see of the GW game um, in the first round because, like, you know, we were in D.C. Um but I remember the Duke game was, like, a standalone, I think. It was the opening game of the second round, I want to say, on, I guess it would have been Saturday. And so, like, a noon, 12.30, whatever time slot on CBS. And, like, I remember having this feeling. It's like, hey, this is, like, kind of cool because, like, we're, like, the only tournament game that's happening right now. Um, and, like, I think CBS might even have had their number one broadcast team on that on that game. Um and I remember it was like cool because like in the the like the the open that CBS did where like they have the announcers talking or whatever before the game starts, like you can see like the GW cheerleaders and the band and stuff in the background. It's like, hey, like that's pretty cool that like GW is like, you know, in this type of game. Um and then the game starts. <laughs> and you know, like Jimmy hung in there for a bit. Um it was it was kind of close-ish. And they actually had a lead through, like, like they were up with, like, I want to say, like, 12 minutes left in the first half. And then, like, Duke, I think, went, like, like a 7-0 run, like a 9-0 run or something. So, like, I think Duke was up, like, like 8-ish, 7 or 8 points at the half. And, like, on the one hand, we're like, I mean, crap, it's Duke. So, like, I don't know. Maybe it's too big. But on the other hand, I think at least the, what I was personally feeling was, like, I mean, we've come back the whole season. This is <laughs> So, I think that was kind of the general consensus. It was like, oh, yeah, we're fine. You know, we got them right where we want them. Um, and, you know, Duke, obviously, as it gets down the stretch of the game, it's not terribly close. And I think it ended up being like a 20-ish, 22-point margin. Um, but I remember I never stopped believing as they went down the stretch of the game because I was like, I mean, we've come back before. Like, you know, it was like the same type of thing from the Charlotte game. It's like, they're going to find a way, right? Like, they, they're going to find a way. And it was quickly obvious that, no, they were they were not going to find a way tonight. Um <laughs> And I remember the moment it hit me that that the run was over was when um, Omar Williams fouled out of the game. And Omar Williams was my favorite player of that team. And I could not give you a great tangible reason. He was definitely not the flashiest player because that was obviously Pops. He was not the best shooter on the team. It was arguably either Mo Rice or Carl Elliott. I don't know. He wore number one. I liked him. I, he was my favorite player. Um, and he fouled out of the game in like the final minute or something. And I remember just, like, at that point, like, being like, oh, my God, this is coming to an end. And, like, I remember just, like, starting to cry because it's like, dang, we could have accomplished so much more. But also, like, we accomplished – we did accomplish so much. I don't think I really appreciated in that moment as a six-year-old, like, just how much it meant to even get to, like, the second round of the NCAA tournament because, I mean, they haven't done it since, and it's 2021. (laughs) Um. And, you know, I kind of wish I could have stayed that moment a little bit more of just, like, this amazing run that was coming to an end. And just, like, I mean, there's a great picture 
from Getty Images or something of like Pops and Mike Hall like walking off the floor at the end of the Duke game, like with like one of their arms around the other's neck and their like heads draped down or whatever. And they're just like, I mean, they were brothers. I mean, there there's absolutely no question that 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 was a, a special team first and foremost because of what they did on the floor. But I mean, those guys were brothers. Um, and it definitely that definitely translated to how they played on the floor as well. Um, yeah. Because that was so special for, you know, the city at large, maybe not all of DC, but, you know, GW fans, did you feel like you were part of that team too? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's funny because, like, on the one hand, as, like, a little kid, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, part of the team, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I would high-five the players, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, like, in a much larger sense, we really were. Um because anyone who, especially the season ticket holders, the students, the people that were there all the time, I mean, we really were part of that community. Um, and I'm not sure that they necessarily would have, you know, could have done as much if it weren't for the, amend- the tremendous support that they had. Um, and I mean, there really was a sense that we were part of something special here. Um, and that was something that really made GW basketball unique. Um, yeah, absolutely. So Daniel, I think what everyone listening to this wants to know Mm -hmm. and to close us out is if that camera on selection Sunday in 2006 was shoved back in your face, what would you say now? (laughs) Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, you know, it's funny because it's something I've actually kind of entertained over the years about, like, huh, you know, what would I say now? Um, I would definitely say that, like, this team was was thoroughly disrespected. Um, and, I mean, I get it now, now that I'm older and I understand the metrics of how the selection process works and all that, that, like, yeah, their Ken Palm ranking was kind of subpar-ish. Um, and you know their strength of schedule. All these, all these advanced numbers, you know, probably were working against them. But eye test wise, you would really be stretching to tell me that there were what I can't do quick math in my head, but like what thirty odd teams ish yeah. better than them that were more deserving of a seed line than them. I mean, I give you, they probably shouldn't be a two or three seed. Maybe not even a four. A five or a six would have been probably about right. At I mean, at, at least that I mean, we're talking like bare bottom of what they realistically should have been, in my opinion. Um, I think I'm really curious to know how much the Temple loss really did hurt them, um, because it's interesting to look back on and think, you know what. What maybe they're would they've only been a seven maybe if if they hadn't lost to Temple but I mean no I mean I would definitely make an argument that you can't tell me that there's thirty teams better than them. There you have it. That is the story, and these are the college basketball stories. Is it one hundred percent accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at the CBB Stories. 
Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network at the Stories Pods on Twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. the way the whole tournament played out i mean i i don't necessarily think that the ncaa necessarily seated a whole lot of teams right i mean um certainly it was a a very memorable tournament with george mason making the run and beating uconn and unc along the way and um florida i think was like a four seed that won it all i want to say um i remember they were the lower seeded team of the two in the finals um so i mean maybe there's a case that they just messed up a whole lot of seeds but but that would be that would be my argument. Um, yeah. Did that George Mason run bother you at all? Considering, I mean, for, first of all, kind of where you're at now, but also just back then to where it was kind of like it was you were the mid major of the season. Yeah, I mean, basically, it would have to make the date in comparison. It would have been like if Wright State. I've been like the last team in the tournament and made the final four. No, I, I you know, it's funny. Um, for context, I'm a George Mason student currently. Um, I'm a junior. I was not really a George Mason fan in the slightest bit um, at, at the time of 2006. Um, and I've only really started following the team since, you know, I've been a student. Um, but at the time, you know, it's funny. I rooted for Florida over George Mason in the final four game, to tell you the truth. Um, I was kind of peeved that Mason was getting all this attention because first and foremost, yes, GW lost and that was in the past, but I was very frustrated that GW was not in the Washington DC regional first and foremost, but George Mason was in the, the, the Washington DC regional that definitely grinded my gears to say. Um, but no, because like GW had just finished the most remarkable season in school history. And there was definitely a sense of, like, I kind of wanted to savor that a little bit. And as I recall, like, Georgetown didn't make it terribly far in that tournament. I don't think Maryland did either. I don't think UVA or Virginia Tech. I don't think really any other team in the immediate D.C. area or anything close really had a run. Um, And so, like, there was kind of a solace of, like, well, you know, we're going to probably have made it as far as anyone else in this area did. Um. Which, of course, is famous last words because, you know, George Mason, obviously, and well-deservedly so, stole all of the headlines, not just in the D.C. area, but obviously nationally with the tremendous run they had with Larry Nega. Um, and it was definitely a Cinderella story that George Mason got to play at home effectively because they got to play at the Verizon Center. Uh, it's very much akin to kind of like what Butler had in 2011 when they got to, you know, play in the Final Four in Indy. That was pretty cool for them. Um but no, I was I for years afterwards too, I very much held a grudge about it because George Mason, for obvious reasons, for many years capitalized off of the fact they were just made the final four. So they had, you know, like ads all over like the Metro, for example, of like buy season tickets, you know, 2006 Final Four and blah blah blah. And like 
That very much rubbed me the wrong way, because first and foremost, I felt like GW deserved to be the team in the Final Four, especially if you're talking about teams in the D.C. area. Um, and here they are, this little school that, like, stole Thunder, definitely. Um, and that was something that, that bothered me for a while, and it's something that was completely arbitrary. And I mean, I don't know if it's fair or not. I'm probably... One of the main reasons I've kind of let it go is I obviously, you know, I'm a Mason student now and I follow the team and, you know, so on. And, you know, it's the 2006 Final Four run. It's definitely a very interesting part of George Mason history and our campus culture and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, yeah, no, definitely at the time. I mean, it's funny. I rooted for Florida and arbitrarily because, you know, I used to love to go on vacation to Orlando because every kid did. Um, but, you know, so I randomly picked, like, oh, yeah, I like to say to Florida, let's root for Florida over Mason. Even though, like, Mason was the amazing Cinderella, they were the local team. But, yeah, that's that's the, the biggest irony out of all of it, for sure, is I, I very much did not like Mason doing it. <laughs> um, but I, I remember it being... That's just being a mid-major. I know. I, and now, as I've, as I've grown up and learned more about how the whole system works and how the process works and you know, become self a sports writer in my own right. It's I, I understand a little bit of the pain now of, of how the system works against mid majors. Um, you know, Ken Palm wasn't something I don't know if it existed at that point in time. If it did, I certainly was not aware of its existence. Um yeah. and I was kind of surprised when I went back and looked at the Ken Palm ranking for the two thousand six team and it was definitely not what I expected to be. I think they ended up putting them in like the twenties or thirties or something. I could look it up. Um but in comparison to the Dayton team of this past season, where they were in the top five in Ken Palm, that was very surprising to see how the metrics favored them differently, for sure. Yeah, and we've talked about that as as Dayton fans, that especially going over this uh, kind of background sheet, it was like, well, if we had pulled a Dayton and lost in the first round of the conference tournament, like we always do, um right. we very well like i wonder if it would have been perceived as much uh as much of a drop because i mean you guys got screwed and yeah. you know i i think ken palm would have elevated us and having ob top and probably would have elevated us but it would have been like you know to try and put ourselves in your shoes it would have been like losing to i don't know rhode island or something um in in the quarters and then you know getting an eight seed and it's like, yeah. I can't even fathom what that would feel like. Here's the thing about this last play is Carl Hobbs draws this play up out of a timeout <laughs> and he puts in freshman Noel Wilmore to take. And I don't know if he drew the shot for Noel to take, but Noel Wilmore went on to have a very average career after this game. And as a freshman, he did not see a lot of playing time and he had not played the entire game. He came off of the bench cold. He takes this shot, and you can see it's not even remotely close, the shot that Noel no. takes here. It's a great pass. <laughs> and he was, it's not like he was super covered. It was, should have been a normal shot in rhythm. Oh, and he's got time. Oh, he, it's he totally on the clock. He totally he did just, a little, like, Kobe driveway fadeaway with it, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wide open. And I mean, then look, I, he look, he looks clueless as what's going on. Like everyone's running around, and he's just kind of like hands in the air. I'm not sure Noel knew the shot that that Carl was able to put it back in. Oh wow! But I mean, that's I'm not seen sure afterwards. If, I'm not sure if he felt like he should celebrate after the shot that he took. It's kind of just like right, standing sorry. there and like. 
wasn't quite sure. He was like, oh, shit. I wish they would show the whole play because to get that, I guess it was just, yeah. yeah it's, it's like Houston, North Carolina State. The fact that he thought the shot would go in, he, his feet are literally squared to the corner as he's pulling up yeah. right here. Like, literally, not like yeah. way full shot. Like, like he's it throwing this. It, it he's throwing Kobe. this at. He's throwing this at Daniel right now. He's just like, <laughs> I mean, throwing straight at the baseline. Well, I mean, here's the thing: if you want to go to like an alternate history type thing, I mean, I, I still to this day don't know what Carl Hobbs drew up in in the timeout. But if GW doesn't get a rebound, Carl Elliott doesn't get the tap back in. That is the shot that the number six team in the nation is taking on their senior night, down one in overtime, and he airballs the hell out of it, and they don't get another look. I mean, God only knows where GW ends up in the NCAA tournament at that point. They might drop to, like, a 10 seed. I mean, because that's – I mean, Charlotte was a decent team, but I don't th- believe they made the NCAA tournament that year. So, Hobbs – we were kind of joking about Hobbs a little bit at the beginning. So, mm-hmm. he literally had the three good years, right? Like, this team, and then that's it, right? Kind of Pretty much. The face. Yeah, I think they had like a CBI year or something random. I mean, that was the thing is they didn't even have an NIT appearance under him. So it's not like, like oh, we just missed a cut like they were with Mike Lonergan. I mean, like they were either all national quality or they were horrible. Um, and I mean, I want to say that his last, that Hobbs last season was the 2010 year, which I mean, I think that means they only gave him like three years of a failing seasons after the last NCAA tournament appearance where they ran him out of town. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, like it was even at, 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 as like a 10 year old, I remember thinking it was kind of a quick trigger to fire him as quickly as they did. Um, but I mean, it was this, it was the CBI year, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Cause they, uh, ironically they played VCU, I think who was obviously now in the A-10, but they were obviously not then. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that was the staple of Hobbs' teams is, like, he could recruit, but there was always this sentiment that he he wasn't the best in-game coach. 